Hello and welcome to B2B Video Lab. My guest this week is Joel Kletka from the Case Study Buddy Company. Now, Joel, you are a particular person of interest to me because I am mad crazy about case studies, but welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I came across you because one of your friends on LinkedIn said, you've got to meet Joel Kletke. He's got like this amazing approach to case studies and I absolutely love them. I've loved doing them in video and you are somebody who is pioneering gold standard approach to getting great case studies from customers. But before we get down there, because we've got a lot to talk about, let's get a little bit of an understanding about what you and your company are about. So tell me, what is the Case Study Buddy company? Case Study Buddy got our start over seven years ago, originally off the side of my partner's desk. So my background is in conversion copywriting, really focusing on what it takes to drive action, to sell, to appeal to an audience. And I had the chance to do a bit of a project for someone doing a case study. And that's when my eyes opened to this format and the potential in it, that there is a repeatable process, that there are a lot of moving parts, internal, external. So they're very difficult to do, but done well, they have to be one of the most effective, if not one of the most underappreciated assets you you can create. They're not leveraged to the degree that they could be. They're not produced to the, the possibilities that they could be. And those were problems that, that I was excited to solve. So Case Study Buddy began life as a written asset company, really focused on written stories. We then evolved to include video as part of our offering and take on the challenges of delivering both written and video collateral concurrently, which is has some quirks of its own. And doing all of that in, in the constraints of no matter what, the customer is always doing you and, and your client a favor by taking part. So real time constraints, approval constraints. So it's a bit of a tangle, but that's that's what we do. We produce a, a lot of different collateral around customer stories and try to make it effective native to the channels it's deployed on for real business and revenue goals. It's taken a sort of developmental process, obviously, to get where you are. And there's been some interesting changes in the seven years that you've been making your business in case studies. I'm just going to kick off with a nice, easy question. What have you noticed has changed in those seven years? What impacts on new social media platforms have effectively changed what you do? I think there's a lot of trend lines that are really changing the dynamic of how this happens. I think one of the key ones is that companies are waking up to customer marketing and advocacy as a whole and putting actual roles and budget toward that. I think regard we, we've spoken to and worked with companies doing 30 million, We've spoken and worked with companies doing billions, but virtually always it's been a very small team internally trying to handle all of the challenge of video stories, written stories. It, there's these natural bottlenecks. And so finally, over time, we're starting to see companies wake up and go, oh, there's a whole function here that we really have to put some people to and process to. And I can tell you when we started, there's an absolute dearth of process, nothing for, for most companies. It was all reactive all the time. And finally, companies are trying to be a little bit more proactive about their story. So there's a change in the roles and the budget being being allocated towards this type of collateral and asset. Another thing that we've seen is the technology has continued to get better and change quite a bit. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, just this explosion in tools now for capturing remote video and self-editing video and asynchronous video. And when we began, if you wanted to capture something remotely from someone's device, for example, your options were pretty darn limited there. There wasn't a whole lot to choose from. So both the quality and accessibility of the technology to, from a technical standpoint, to capture 
stores and capture video footage especially. It's becoming more and more accessible, better and better. Now, too, the, the current hot topic on everyone's mind now is generative AI. And we're starting to see companies take an interest in not necessarily how they can use it to tell their initial stories, but repurposing. How can they make existing processes more efficient? How can they leverage it in the storytelling process to go deeper with their stories or tell those stories in different ways? Quite a lot has changed from the people and roles involved to the budgets allocated to the tech being used. And now even the, the way we think about tech's role in storytelling, it's been quite a roller coaster of different things happening all the time. Now, case studies are particularly valued by marketers. So before we go any further down the sort of futuristic approach that can be taken now, let's go and nail down some of the basics. What is it that the marketers that you speak to want to gain from their case studies? And why do you think case studies in particular are so valuable to them? What do they add? It's interesting because it's not just the marketers, it's the sales teams tapping the marketers that want these things too. And leadership tapping the sales teams, tapping the marketers, this whole chain of people. But why Why are they so valuable? Why are they so sought after? I think what it comes down to is, number one, when you can tell a very relatable, relevant story, when you can couch this whole buying experience in this narrative format, it's something that's very easy to digest, trust in, and believe. And I think that's of tantamount importance because when a lead comes in and when they're looking stories, they want to see that someone just like them made the decision they're debating with all the stresses inherent in that decision and got the outcome that they're looking for. And you don't get that in just a sales pitch or a one-sided conversation or a push strategy from the company. That really becomes validated and meaningful when there is a customer at the heart of the story. I think that's a really big part of it. I think as well as different verticals get more and more competitive, more and more saturated, your competitors, especially in software and tech, and they, they can steal your features, they can rip off your branding, they can rip off your messaging, they can poach your people. But one of the things that nobody can take away from you that yours to lose is the successes you've built for your clients. And so by virtue, these customer stories are unique. They're unique to you, they're unique to that relationship. So I think it's this combination of these very relatable human stories encompassing all of the buyer's journey and decisions made, the fact that these are very unique. And then the part that I think people are waking up to is that they are highly repurposable. It's not just, oh, these are end of journey assets, we'll give them to the sales team and we give them to someone already about to make a decision. I think marketers as a whole are waking up to the idea that I can use these customer stories in lead generation, in nurturing leads, in cold outreach, in upselling, in retention, in internal hiring and, and mo morale and motivation. They're just these very multi-purpose assets. So even though they are a ton of work to get buy-in for and produce, the ROI you can ring from each one is incomparable in my view almost any other asset. It's way more leverage than a blog post or an ebook or a commercial. There's so much further you can take these. They can do so well in so many channels, environments, sales and marketing scenarios. I'm going to pull apart one of the things you said there. I'm interested in the difficulty that you highlighted about case studies. Now, they're super, super valuable because of some of the reasons that you stated there and the inherent 
sort of relatability of a real person talking to you about a dilemma that this potential product or service solves is also got a great appeal. But you talk there about the that there is problematic and sourcing case studies and getting buying. Now, when you talk about buying, because I've made case studies a lot myself too in video, I know that you're talking not just about buying from your customers who are making, you're making the, you're talking about the people they've got to get in. So what sort of tips and tricks do you have for securing those high profile case studies, the stories that you know are going to do a great job for your client? Number one, have your house in order before you invite people into it. So much of the success of your ability to get your customers to take part in video comes from knowing who you're going after, why you're going after them, and having your internal teams aligned. So a very simple thing you can do, rather than try to eat the whale and create a whole bunch of process and SOPs, start by having some conversations internally and being very clear on, number one, what are the business and revenue goals we want to support, the campaigns we want to Number two, what coverage gaps are we trying to fill? Because you can tell different success stories, very different things. It could be a rip and replace type of story, like someone who switched from one provider to another and why that played out. They can be stories about implementation. They can be stories about the skeptic's journey through making a purchase. So be very clear on what are our goals for these stories, because that will inform not only who you ask, but how you ask and who you tap in. I think that's the second piece is know internally the accountabilities and responsibilities each team has. If CSMs are making the ask, for example, well, you need to have some sort of resource for them to know how to make the ask, how to frame it, how to set expectations so that by the time this comes to marketing, you're not dealing with someone who has wildly different expectations of the process or what they'll be involved in. So being very clear on the responsibilities. Now, in terms of getting customers to take part, I think start with the recognition that number one, you are asking a favor. You want to frame it of the benefit to them. Uh, you, you want to frame it through the value that they'll receive. And, and that's when you position the ask. That's how you want to come at it. But be mindful of the fact that you are asking for their time and you're asking them to essentially stick their neck out. There's implications for them both internally and externally. For example, your point of contact has now the burden of getting released from their legal team or their PR team in many cases. You want to be respectful of that and make that easy. So some of the tips to keep in mind, really simple things. Number one, think about your wording. Instead of saying, would you be in a case study, which sounds very clinical and scary and intensive, can we feature you? Can we share your success? Can we tell your story? Even the wording can make a difference in how to proceed. Number two, make it very easy to understand what's involved. Having even a simple, we call them pitch packet, but a simple sort of one or two page maximum. And when I say two page, I'm not talking tiny font, we're talking sparse, but an overview of the process, what's involved, how long will it take, what will come out the other side and have, if you've got them, some great examples of final products that can really invigorate people when they see all oh, this video product is actually amazing. We made this company look. So have, have a clear indication of the process and, and the time involved and have resources that empower your point of contact to then sell that up internally. When you're dealing with enterprise companies or you're dealing with companies where there can be a lot of red tape, think about who in your organization either is most familiar, so has the relationship, or has the most authority. So we have seen sometimes, especially between two enterprise companies, if senior leadership has a connection to senior leadership, 
a lot can happen around PR and legal that otherwise might not happen. Think very carefully about who is making the ask. And finally, I mentioned the wording of the ask, but also be very specific in the ask. Why them? Why now? And what is it specifically about their story that you're hoping to capture? If you put some bumpers on the bowling alley, if it's not this blank check scenario where they feel like they have to come and share everything, that's very intimidating. And that is a PR nightmare. So being very specific, we'd like to talk about these aspects of your relationship or these metrics or this part of our journey together. That makes it much easier to say yes to. So personal, specific, frame it as a benefit. Think about who's making the ask, who's either most familiar or most authoritative or illegal. That's interesting that you've given such good and strong guardrails. I had experience of working on B2B case study series over 10 years ago now for a large industrial manufacturer. And one of the challenges that they had to overcome was that some of the people that they were interviewing in the B2B space weren't people that were used to being interviewed and weren't necessarily going to be comfortable testimonials. So I was given the job because of my background in observational documentary, which was a skill that I'd had to learn. Now, in short timeframes, when you're making case studies at scale, how do you manage to get those reluctant testimonial interviewees warm up? Do you have a process? How do you and your team get them so that you're getting the best of them on camera? The challenge is to approach it with the goal of making your interviewee into a storyteller. We're not threatened when we're just sharing an experience, but we feel we can we can feel very reserved or nervous when we feel like it's a performance or an interrogation. Some of the things that we'll do, everybody knows the old adage of softball questions and things like that. But it's true. We'll often warm them up by saying, tell me a little bit about what success looks like for you. Tell me a little bit about some of the things you've been involved in. I think one of the philosophies that we try to embrace is this idea of not in a cheesy, ingenuine way, a disingenuous way, I should say, but epic encouragement, letting them know that they're giving you great responses and reinforcing that. So saying, that's really interesting. You worded that really well. A little bit of praise goes a long way to making somebody feel comfortable, feel like they're giving you what you're looking for. Because reluctance sometimes comes from a place of fear, uncertainty. But if you've set the expectation for what's going to be discussed, that's not always the case. I think more often it comes from, am I saying the right things? Am I being compelling enough? Do I look good enough on camera? All of those things. So by offering those little bits of encouragement, letting them know we can always revisit an answer, we can always come back to it. And then as they respond, oh, that was really interesting. For example, I'm glad I get to interview you about the subject. You know a lot about this. That was a really great response. Thank you. That's really compelling. Simple things like that, building the person up, that can get them to come out. And then asking questions that, again, turn them into a storyteller, things that we don't even have to think about and the response floods to mind. So things like, what made that so frustrating for you? Well, that's an emotional response that I can key right into. Why was that so important for you to get right. What did that mean for you? What did that mean for your boss? What did that mean for your department? These are storytelling questions that I don't have to think twice. I don't have to be calculated. If you ask me, for example, what were the KPIs you saw as a result of the campaign? That's a very mental exercise. You want them to already have done that work and come prepared. So rather than be very, can you recite facts? It's more about share your experience. What made that so valuable? What made that so frustrating? And those are reflexive responses that come easily out of interviews, usually. That's interesting you talk about that. The the KPI question is like the sort of thing that you get asked by the team before you go make the case study. Make sure you get to ask them about the, the return and, 
and what tonnage of this and all the rest of it. And, and, and obviously people don't remember facts and figures like that, do they? They are interested in how it makes them feel, as you say, and what it, what it does for them. There's a cheat that I used to do when we were recording people on camera. And I used to say to them, you don't need to worry about the way that you look because you're only on screen for a couple of seconds and we're going to do cutaways of the machinery working or the goods in process or the service you provide. So how do you overcome those snags? Have you found that jump cuts work in your case studies? What's your method of papering over those edits that you have to make? One of the things we know doesn't work, and that's unfortunately really common, is two straight minutes of talking head. Nobody wants to watch that. So there's different ways. I think especially the challenge you have when something is for example, we do a lot of remote video testimonials. And in a lot of cases, there may not be B-roll you can turn to. They may not have a whole lot. So it's thinking about having cutaways is something we practice for sure. When we, but it's about what are you cutting away to or how can you emphasize without distracting from the point that they're making. So with, for example, a particularly powerful quote, we might take the heart of the quote and the heart of the things they're expressing and cut away to emphasizing visually the words that they're communicating because we want the viewer to internalize that part of the message. Almost like taking the full quote and then having a highlighter and taking oh, yeah. a bit of it. Having that visually on the screen is something you can cut away to. We do a lot of work with software and tech. And so again, some of the things we can cut away to are, are things like oblique of screenshots or showing the product in action. As you mentioned, it might be the machinery in action. It might be the software. But cutting to a demonstration, a demonstration of the proof of here is how this would actually work or here's how you would look actually doing these things, that can be valuable. Simple motion graphics, something not over the top, not too distracting, but having something come in and illustrate the point, especially when we're talking about before and after kind of scenarios. If we can show complexity and chaos on one side and simplicity on the other, and there's lots of visual ways of expressing that. Again, if you can do that in a way that doesn't distract from the things being spoken, that can be very valuable. What's interesting too that I'm seeing, we're not necessarily there yet, but what I'm starting to see is cutting edge or companies trying out is making these videos almost more choose your own adventure and interactive. They have these the beginnings where it introduces the client and customer, but then you're able to now click into the part of the video that's most compelling for you. So if you want to hop to this demonstration of this particular feature, or if you want to hop into uh, an exploration of one I saw the other day was different roles. They had very different functionally CMO, CFO, developer, whatever. And I could watch the video in the beginning and then choose which person I wanted to hear from or just watch it start to finish. I'm very intrigued by the potential for that and what that kind of viewing experience might create, especially when you have these multidisciplinary stories and the old agency nerd in me is very interested in the data from that too, or what are people hopping to? What are they finding compelling? Where are they leaping to? So we're not there yet, but I wanted to mention that because I, I think that's a really compelling idea that I wonder if we'll see more of and how that might get refined and, and play out over time. Now that's interesting. Yeah, that interactive nature sounds quite intriguing. You and I can have, definitely have a chat about that. Let's talk a little bit about the way that you work across medium because case studies don't operate just in video. As you've said, you've used them in copy form. And I wondered what you found was the most effective way of deploying your sort of hooks out into the social media landscape to then get people to interact with the case studies and consume them. I think it's constantly evolving and new things are 
being tried all the time. And part of it depends on the context too of how you're presenting it. With video, for example, we'll often do things like a teaser cut. You take the most compelling bit or an open-ended question, particularly with the challenge. You might say, open it up. What's going to happen next? Almost that kind of you know movie trailer sort of approach, and that can often drive clicks. When it comes to social media and the written words, I think one of the things we want to do is marry the medium to the platform. And so again, maybe it's an open loop. It might be see how X did Y with much better copy than that, but it's kind of a challenge statement that I as the reader can relate to. Here's how one company solved that problem. Other times it's opening a loop with a really compelling quote, something that seems almost, it has to be legitimate, but a really big success or a really big aspirational outcome using that, whether in the pull quote image or in the body of the post itself. And then again, driving into click to learn more or that sort of thing. One of the more recent ways we're seeing companies play around with this is using something like LinkedIn carousels to tell the story from a high level. And so you allow people to flip through from start to finish in a very succinct, truncated way. Use that almost as a teaser. And now for those who just wanted that level of detail, they can click through to have a demo or what have you. Or for those who are curious about the meat of the story, now they can go into the depth of the story and continue to read and explore. So we're seeing that. What's interesting too is, I know we're talking about one individual story, but we're starting to see more companies almost do like a compendium approach where they take quotes from multiple different stories, roll that up into a social post, and then use that to drive action as well. So there's many different ways to come at it. And one other way, it's not quite as popular, but I think it's worth testing, is taking a very succinct one-sheet version and just having that be, for example, the image on Twitter or whatever, as long as it's legible, it doesn't work so well for things like mobile. But again, just bringing the best bits of information in a succinct way to them. Because without a good hook, if you're linking off to a deep dive video or a deep dive asset, the clicks are going to be poor, the engagement's going to be poor. So it's trying to find whether it's a pain that resonates, an outcome they're really excited about it a logo or the promise of a methodology, all of those things within social posts in particular, pull people in and get them engaged. Now, something we're going to define now is the difference, because I think there's sometimes a change in terminology, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on. What do you feel is the killer composition of a case study then? And what separates out from, in your mind, a testimonial? I think number one, you're talking about depth. You're talking in a case study, you're typically looking at a fuller picture customer story. You're being walk through everything from the background context to the challenge, solution, and results. And while that can vary in terms of depth and length, all of those aspects tend to be there. It's not like a sound bite or just one overarching statement. You're normally being walked through the entire story. There's a narrative to it, a case study or a customer story. There's an arc you can follow. A testimonial, on the other hand, I think can be more of just a snapshot into one aspect of that. You're not necessarily being walked through the entire experience. You're getting some indicate, obviously, someone was happy with it, but just the testimonial doesn't tend to go into the same level of depth surrounding the challenge or that sort of thing. And testimonials also tend to focus more on the outcome, the ROI, the metric or the great result achieved again versus the arc that led them to that. 
I do think, though, regardless, it's not just an across-the-pond thing. I think the language used to define these things is nebulous everywhere. Some people use case study. We're called case study buddy. and I don't like the words case study, to be quite honest. I much prefer customer story because out of that customer story, you can create a testimonial, you can create a slide, you can express it many different ways. But I think some people view testimonials as these broader shores. I think the industry does have a language problem and it's not as universal as you might expect. But that to me anyways, that's the difference is with a case study, you, you get that whole arc to a different level of depth. Now, I'm just going to press you a bit more then. So what do you feel is the key components then to get a killer case study? What's the bit that you've got to have in it to make it work? And what's the bit that if it's missing, it just is a failure? I think number one, a relatable present and vocal hero. A, a case study cannot just be a list of bullet points about things that you did absent of a customer's voice. I think the customer needs to be central to that, have a voice in it, and their experience of the solution has to be at the core. I think without that, you're left with something that is not really a story, not really a study. It's just a collection of bullets and maybe nice quotes. And that's, to me, not the same. I think when we break out the individual sections, everybody talks about challenge, solution, results. But to me, if we're talking a killer example, in the challenge section, going beyond what the challenge was and into the stakes, the tension, why was that important to solve? What would have happened if that wasn't solved? When you come to the solution, not just what was done, but why those things? Why did that make sense for that client? Or how, not just here are the features they use, but how did they leverage them? What was the recipe? Going beyond the surface level detail of the bullets and into, again, the experience and what made what possible. And especially for services businesses, again, like why did you make the decisions you made for that client? Because especially there, it's not just your offer on display, it's your thinking, it's your strategy, it's how you adapt to different clients and customers because that's part of what your leads will be looking for. And then in the results section, not just the metrics, not just the KPIs, but the ROI, the real impact of those KPIs. What was made possible by those KPIs? Okay, you saw 100% lift in traffic. What did that mean for the company? What did that mean? Could you allocate your budgets differently now? Could you come at things in a different way? Going beyond just the surface level metrics and the surface level outcomes and into the impact of those outcomes. What was made possible? What can you do now or do better? All of the best case studies I've seen go into the human impact. They go into the real meat beyond just the numbers. The numbers might draw attention. They might get someone to click. But it's the difference between saying, oh, our staff are 90% more efficient now and saying, oh, our front desk staff don't have to run from office to office hand delivering paychecks anymore. That second piece is that much more relatable. So I think those are the critical elements to telling a really great story. And then the last one that you pull through all of them is focus. A story must be focused. Trying to kitchen sink it and talk about every good thing you've done and every great metric and every use case leads to a story that is not focused, not relatable, and appeals to nobody. So I would say those are the That's an interesting set of facets, uh, different component parts. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you now about one bit. Now this is something that's I've all struggled with making 
B2B video case studies with clients, which is at the early setting out of the problem that the service or product goes on to resolve, you cannot use footage of a previous product they or service they were using. You can allude to it. And often what we found when we were providing this service for clients was that you got a commentary and the commentary wasn't in the video that had been made. It was underneath. It was in the comment section of Facebook. It was in the trail of tweets that came after when the video got posted to Twitter. I wondered with your experience, and let's not be shy, you've made some amazing case studies for some absolute staunch brands, proper big ones. What? How important is it to a brand that once they've made their case study in order to improve their outcome, that they engage with those things like the comments, the untold stories? What's your feeling about those? I think it's a goldmine of insight that, again, often gets overlooked. For so many companies, because these are difficult to do, and there's so many moving parts, by the time they publish, they celebrate and put up their hands and go, we did it, it's, it's live. But the conversation is only beginning. The conversation with that asset is only beginning because what you'll start to see, especially with something like, if it's particularly well done, video is you'll start to see other people, as you mentioned, show up the company, oh, I had this issue, or I've done that as well, or again, on, on sales conversations or, or what have you. So I think number one, it's incredibly important to engage because you will validate or be surprised by feedback that comes out of that. And that will have insights for product or for sales or for customer success. And to just ignore that means to ignore insight being handed to you on a silver platter. I think part of the challenge, if we ask the question of why do companies not engage with that, it's because, quite frankly, people don't know whose job it is. There's no accountability responsibility. Is this the social media team? Is the marketing team? Who owns responsibility for coming in and responding? And do we even have, for example, how does this feedback get documented? How does it get centralized? How does it get shared? There's no process around that. Just like in most companies, there's no process for even making the ask. There's this, I mentioned earlier, dearth of process for a lot of companies to the point that, again, we have worked with and been fortunate to work with some billion dollar brands who had nothing for an SOP in, in the first few years or years so that we worked with them. And then once they put those things in place and assigned accountabilities and roles, you start to see this taking off of ROI per story, this bigger investment from other teams in generating stories because they love the insights they're getting or the impacts that they're being had. So I think it's immensely important to engage in that way and not just engage sporadically, but to build a process for engaging that way to really wring every drop of ROI from these assets you're, you're creating to publish is not the end. It's the beginning of the conversation. That leads me nicely onto the next question, which is that what do you feel is the most convincing outcome that your clients gain from making full use now obviously when they onboard sorry when you onboard them and you become their case study buddy you are providing them with the wherewithal to get the case studies resourced and made and then distributed and you, they in themselves then become a bit meta the case studies for you to demonstrate that your case studies work but what is the outcomes what's the outcomes that they gain what is the real benefit from this high value asset yeah, I think the broader term, 
the broader way of thinking about it is it depends where and how they're leveraging it. But some of the results that we see are things like accelerated sales cycles. For example, when you're trying to penetrate a new market, I'll use an example. There's a company that makes industrial, huh, appropriate for today with the wildfires around me, industrial air filtration systems. And typically they'd been in warehouses and glass fabrication, th- things like that. But all of a sudden the pandemic happens and there's many new markets that suddenly are attracted to the idea of gyms. Well, selling into a gym when you're used to selling into industrial warehouse, very different conversation or maybe different sales cycle. So both things like win rates and the length of the sales cycles, when you have the right stories, when you have the right ammunition, win rates can go up and sales cycles can get truncated. Uh, there can also be, for example, one of the places that a client of ours, Carthook, was deploying their stories in their remarketing. And so they, they were seeing an increase in the number of closed deals coming on the back of remarketing campaigns. They started pushing people into stories instead of product pages or home pages or other things like that. And again, they started to see more leads starting to convert on the back of those conversations. One of our clients, an enterprise-sized uh, uh, CRM and marketing software and so on, they looked at, it's not a good practice to look at one-to-one conversion on a case study, whether it's a video, because it's part of a broader conversation. But they looked at assisted conversions. They looked at sales cycles where case studies were a part of that and sales cycles where they were not. And we produced over 50 stories for them that year. But just on a subset of, I believe it was 12 of the stories we did, they were able to confidently come to us and say, hey, in in sales cycles, we're seeing that these new stories have uh, contributed to over 2 million in new annual recurring revenue for us, right? What I'm not saying is that those stories are solely responsible for that revenue. What I am saying is that they became a meaningful data point, discussion point on that customer's journey to conversion. And then you can also see things like brand awareness or engagement increase, whether you're deploying on social. And then one of my favorite ones is in cold outreach, comparing old campaigns to where we weren't necessarily leveraging stories to your close rates, win rates, or lead quality of campaigns where you do bake these things in. And you can see lifts in positive response rate. You can see lifts in overall closing rates from those efforts. So it really depends where and how you're deploying them. But the ROI can be uh, can show up in, in myriad ways. Typically, more sales, better quality leads, shorter sales cycles, better discussions with leads. And, and then if, let's say, you're deploying in things like upsell or whatever, even looking at that, right? If you have a, a product or a service and you have a premium tier, seeing how many more people move to premium when you start telling these stories as part of that mix. Many ways to deploy, many ways to measure the impact as well. Over the course of the podcast now, we've established that case studies, they're pretty difficult to procure. And when you procure them, you've got to be super careful about the language you use and the way that you interact with the potential B2B customers that you're going to feature. You then talked a little bit about the methods you use and the outcomes that can result from deploying case studies. Now, I'm going to get some quick fire questions for you because I, like you, have been making case studies for quite a while now, and I've got some favorites, but I want to get your view. So case studies, TikTok or Twitter? Oh, I think for now, I'll say Twitter. I think in the future, TikTok, but I think Twitter for now. Yeah. Okay. 
long-form versions of your case studies on a website embedded or YouTube. And it's like asking, it's like a fish climbing a tree. It's like it depends on your goal. I'm, I'm going to say the companies who have made a concerted effort to get them on YouTube tend to have better all-around sales and marketing clutter on the whole, so I'll say YouTube. Okay, great. Okay, and final one, in-person or remote, which do you think is the better value for the customer? In-person is the penultimate asset because you will never get better quality footage or more relevant B-roll. So I think budget-wise, night and day between the two, remote script for scale, but storytelling, hard to beat on location shoot. Well, Joel, it's been really interesting having you on the podcast. I think that a lot of people really want to deploy case studies more and more across their business. So I bet people will be wanting to know whereabouts they can find you on the web. So tell me, where is your website? Where can you be found on social media? Yeah, casestudybuddy.com is where you can learn more about us and the work that we do. But we also have a blog blog that's just chock full of different resources, ideas, things we've learned about operationalizing different parts of this process. So whether you are looking to work with us or not, I think there'll be takeaways there and things of value for you there. We also recently launched a newsletter. It's bi-weekly and we share resources, examples, ideas, all in the spirit of, again, helping you approach these things and, and tell better stories. For me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. I don't always answer quickly, but I do always answer. And I'm always happy to jam on the challenges you're seeing. Odds are across the thousands of stories we've done, we've probably encountered the issues you're running into before. I'm always happy to connect and learn more. And I try to share things that are actionable with my posts and not just self-congratulatory or listicles or five big tips, but things, again, you can go and do. So those are probably the two best places to connect. And then if you want to see me posting pictures of Cthulhu riding a surfboard, Twitter is also a decent place to connect to. Now, I'm cheating slightly because I have looked all over your socials and you do you do post some really interesting stuff. You heard it here first. Check out Joel Kletka and Case Study Buddies on his website. Definitely go and look at some of his LinkedIn posts, which are really quite entertaining in parts, hopefully intentionally. Case studies are literally one of the best value assets you can have in video. I recommend that you go and have a look at Joel's stuff. Joel, been a pleasure to chat to you. I look forward to seeing more and more of your posts. Thank you so much for the chance to come and share. And hopefully people leave us some actionable things they can go and do and uh, apply.